Hello, and welcome to Cinebraskans, the daily Nebraskan entertainment podcast. I am your host, Kyle Cruz, of course, always joined by my co-host. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is David Berman. Um, I formerly was the assistant culture editor at the Daily Nebraskan. Um, I was fired. No, no, I'm just, just kidding. <laughs> I, I've, I've moved. I've moved positions. I have uh, uh, transitioned into uh, the uh, Daily Nebraskan's COVID section co-editor. So we've we've created a section that's pretty much entirely dedicated to COVID-19 coverage. So make sure you check that out. As well as... I'm Mia Everding. I just now contribute to the podcast because I am in grad school. So, woohoo! So you're not really even a part of us anymore. I really am not. I give you about two hours of my time each week, and then we're not friends the rest of the week. That's it. Yeah, I don't. I don't know where you are, or who you are, or what you do. <laughs> friends? Question mark. Nah. <laughs> and then yeah, I'm Kyle Cruz. I am a reporter for the culture section of the Daily Nebraskan. I mainly just write movie reviews and host this podcast. And yeah, this is our first time back in person recording this podcast since like March. So it feels a little weird. We're all, we're in a conference room, all socially distanced. And yeah, it's it's certainly an interesting experience, but we're going to have fun with it. Um, so yeah, I guess as usual, we'll just start with our, our first uh, segment of the podcast. And that's What Have I Done? 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 Done, done, what have I done? And what have I done is the segment where we just talk about what we've been up to lately, what movies we've been watching, what TV we've been watching, whatever whatever we decide to talk about on that given week. So I guess we'll just start with you first, David. What have you been up to? Yeah, so you know I've consumed a lot of a lot of different media's media mediums um, over the last few months since we last recorded. Um, but the most recent thing I've watched is The Boys, which is a uh, show on Amazon Prime. Um, it's it's kind of a, a twist on the classic superhero genre. Um, where pretty much uh, it's a world where superheroes are a thing, but they've been completely like, uh, it's pretty much like what would happen if superheroes were in capitalism and <laughs> they've been taken over like pretty much a corporation called Vought runs like all of their images and their merchandise and kind of kind of controls them. And they're not really like a force for actually saving people like they do that, but it, it's more like, how can we save people? So then it's, we get, so then we get good publicity. Um, and so basically all of them are just really, really bad people. Um, and it's, so, uh, there's a superhero team called the seven, which is just the justice league. Like it's pretty much exactly the justice league. There's a character named Homelander who is just Superman. He's an indestructible man and he can fly and he has laser eyes and all that. Um, and there's a guy who can talk to dolphins and there's a guy who can run really fast and they're all, and the public thinks that they're great people and they they hold them up as heroes to look up to but they're actually just like the worst people in the world um and so it focuses on this group called the boys who are all people who have been uh wronged by superheroes and um are starring uh carl urban from uh, star trek and other things um and uh jack quaid who is dennis quaid's son um and yeah, it's 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 a really fun show. Um, it's pretty much just about them trying to kind of expose the superheroes as actually really bad people. Um, and it, it's really it's it's really violent. It's really profane. It's kind of a lot, but it doesn't cross the line. And it's not just about that. It has a lot of substance to it, and it has you know it's it's a commentary on kind of the entertainment system and the the. Uh, um, 
the ways that celebrities influence our lives. And yeah, it's really fun. I just finished the first season yesterday. And yeah, the second season is happening right now. So I'm going to be watching more of that. Nice. Um, so with the second season, uh, they're uh, kind of taking a non-traditional uh, release approach, at least for uh, not traditional in a streaming sense, because they're releasing episodes week to week. Um, and you haven't gotten into the second season yet, but what do you just in general think about that release? I mean, honestly, I'm okay with that. Like, I, since it was all already out, I kind of binged the first season, but I'm okay with having, you know, traditional, you know, week to week releases of TV. It kind of gives me time to breathe. It, it doesn't make me put pressure on myself to just really rush through something and get and see all of it so then I don't get it, get spoiled by the internet or anything. So I'm honestly fine with that. I know it's gotten a lot of hate for that, but I think that's that's kind of dumb. So Nice. And yeah, moving on to you, Mia. What have you been up to this week? Um, well, I haven't been able to consume any meat. Well, that's not true. <laughs> any visual media, really, um, this week. But last week I watched the new Netflix original, um, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Um, and it was wild i mean going into it i kind of knew vaguely what to expect just from watching the trailer and the trailer just like gives you no sense really of what's going on i think we we watched the trailer last week didn't we i think yeah yes we did yeah so that i think i explained a little bit of my experience watching it but yeah it was just very very strange and when I saw the trailer, I thought it was going to be a lot scarier than it was. And so I was like really nervous going into it. Um, and then it ended up not being like, I was worried about jump scares and it was more just like this vaguely unsettling feeling like throughout the entire movie where you're just like waiting for something to happen. And then it never does, which very stressful viewing experience. But, um, I think it was done really, really well. Like it was a movie that you could go back and watch again and, and like link things from beginning to end and be like, oh, well, there's foreshadowing, you know, there's linking the past to the future and vice versa. Um, and yeah, the I saw an edit of it afterward um, of like the cinematography and like the shooting style is really beautiful. It's this pretty like desolate sort of place and the scene doesn't change a lot, but it really works like with what it has. Um and just makes you feel like this very desolate, snowy, cold sort of um, ambiance. So, yeah, definitely recommend. But be prepared going into it because, yeah, you'll be just unsettled like the entire the entire time, which I think it was like two hours. So, you know, just be prepared for that. Yeah, I know it's uh, kind of like a weird um, kind of vague movie, but can you give us like just a little description of like what the actual like plot of the movie is as as well as you can? Yeah, yeah. So it's based on a book, which makes a lot of sense um, seeing like the book into the screenplay. Um, and I wasn't aware of the even the book going into it. Um, but it is this gal who um, is vo- visiting her boyfriend's family for the first time and she and the boyfriend have only been dating for like a couple of months. So she's, it like connects to the title. I'm thinking of anything. She's thinking of ending the relationship, like going into this like evening together. Like it's not even a weekend trip. Um, and she's just noticing these really strange things with his family and trying to just like, figure out what's going on and like figure out her own emotions like does she want to end this relationship um yeah i can't really say much else without giving like major spoilers so 
it it is a very sleepy sort of slow not super plot driven um movie like some of the longest scenes are in the car and it's like a 20 minute conversation that goes by and you're just watching these two characters drive in a car in the snow so it's there's a lot though definitely like the dialogue is it keeps you on your toes um as far as what i've been up to so when everything like went online and kind of got shut down in march uh, obviously there were no suddenly no new movies opening up and so in terms of reviewing movies i started doing uh, this series called rewind reviews which is just me going back and watching older classic movies that i haven't gotten the chance to see before and just kind of giving my thoughts on them and uh, when this semester started up again i decided to keep that going and this week for my rewind review i decided to watch uh, reservoir dogs for the first time and Reservoir, uh, <laughs> Reservoir Dogs is uh, the first film from Quentin Tarantino, who, like, I haven't seen, obviously, um, haven't seen his entire filmography, but I've seen, like, a fair amount of his movies and ha- have generally enjoyed them for the most part. There have been a few that I've had issues with. But um, I, I know a lot of people, like, really liked R- Reservoir Dogs, so I decided to give it a shot. And I was pleasantly surprised by how much I liked this movie. Um, just because... So, like, the the basic premise of the movie is it's this, like group of criminals who like just finished uh um like they're coming back from like a bank uh robbery that went wrong um and they're meeting up at their rendezvous point which is just in this warehouse and they think that one of them like sold the group out to the police and they don't know who it is um so it's them just kind of showing up one at a time and the audience is getting to know the characters and they're all just trying to figure out which one of them like which one of them snitched um and it's cutting back and forth between like their interactions and conversations at the warehouse and like uh flashbacks of like how each one of them got involved in the heist to begin with um and yeah it's just it's a really it's a really tight script um i think the script of the movie um which is also written by tarantino um is definitely like the strongest point um just because it gives just enough so that you know what's going on and you can make and form opinions on the characters, but you never entirely know where it's going. Um, like there's, there's plenty of different like reveals and twists in the movie that kind of come out of nowhere, but they still make sense within the movie. Um, and I, I like that quite a bit and the performances in the movie are, are great as well. Um, I didn't realize that Steve Buscemi was in this movie. Uh, he plays a guy named Mr. Pink um, and this is honestly probably one of the best performances I've ever seen from Steve Buscemi. Um, just cause like anymore, I just kind of think of Steve Buscemi as just kind of like this meme of an actor. Like he, he's, yeah, he's Steve Buscemi. Um, but he was in like, yeah, just a very like legitimately serious role here and he handled it really well. Um, and him and, uh, Tim, Tim Roth, um, were, were acting off of each other quite a bit throughout the movie and they were, he was just kind of acting against Tim, Tim Roth, who's a fantastic ac- actor, um, and just matching him beat for beat, which I did not an- anticipate from Steve Buscemi, and so that was that was really good to see. Um, but yeah, it was interesting watching it because, like, so this is Tarantino's, like, first, like, major film, and so it was interesting watching it, at, watching a Tarantino film before he became Quentin Tarantino, mm-hmm. um, because, uh, so I believe Pulp Fiction came a couple years after this, um, and so he didn't have like the same type of like notoriety or like fame as a director yet and so he it's a very low budget movie and he just kind of had to hunker down and focus on the characters and um yeah it was it didn't have like the same intense quentin tarantino flavor as you get from most of his movies nowadays 
um, which honestly, like it made me kind of understand like why he became a big name to begin with. Cause I think starting with Reservoir Dogs, um, like if this movie were to come out today, it would still be just as highly praised and everything. Like it holds up really well. Um, and it feels like the type of movie that would launch someone's career. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, by the time this podcast goes out, my review will, will be up so you can go and check that out if you want my ex- extended thoughts on that. Um, self plug, but, <laughs> um, but yeah. So have I, have either of you seen Reservoir Dogs? I have not. I, uh, Quentin Tarantino is a filmmaker who I, I sadly have seen very few of his films. I think I literally have only seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, and maybe something else that I'm not thinking of, but yeah, I, I really need to like just dedicate a week to watching all of his movies. So yeah, yeah, I feel that. Um, but yeah, I guess from there, we'll just jump into, jump into some movie news. Um, and we've got some, some fun stuff to talk about this week. And so we'll start with, uh, just a couple comic book movie things. Just because we, we, we enjoy a good, a good comic book movie around here. We're a couple of nerds, so that's why. <laughs> um, uh, the first the first bit of news is kind of a sad but anticipated bit of news, and that's the fact that Black Widow is very likely going to be delayed again. I believe right now it's technically set for like a November release because um, it had taken the Eternal spot. Um, but yeah, there was a report that came out in Variety earlier this week that said that Disney's looking at pushing it back. Um, they didn't give any specifics on when to. Um, I would assume like Christmas at the earliest, probably 2021 though. Um, just cause like Wonder Woman, uh, got delayed to Christmas, so they wouldn't want to open it up against that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's not, uh, unexpected that this happened considering, um, the, the way the box office has been right now with Tenet and, uh, with Tenet and Mulan, which we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of sad that like <laughs> this movie was supposed to come out in May and now we most likely won't get it until 2021, but you know, that's just kind of the way the world is right now. So what what do you guys think about this? Yeah, you know, like I was, I think part of me was kind of hoping that, hey, maybe they'll just dump this on Disney Plus. But I feel like that was never a realistic move for them. They have it. There's no reason for them to really rush this and then lose a bunch of money on it. So I think they're going to wait until they feel like they can at least get some sort of normal box office return on it. Yeah, I'm with Dave on this one, too, because I, I feel like um, seeing Mulan's response or response to Mulan um, on um, just like box box office numbers on that, I feel like that's a good incentive on uh, on what steps they should take to, to release Black Widow. And I feel like, I mean, I don't know, I think Black Widow is maybe more highly anticipated than Mulan was, but that might just be my opinion. So I could, yeah, I could see it definitely making sense for them to just keep delaying this until they're confident that it'll be successful. Yeah. And in the same report that Variety put out about this, um, they mentioned that um, they were being told that Disney's looking at uh, throwing soul onto Disney plus um, just directly. And they said that like a rep from Disney uh, denied that when, when asked about it, but they were still hearing it from their sources. So that's all unconfirmed, obviously. Um, but yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see how Soul would perform on Disney Plus um, and if they would have the same like $30 price hike um, for it. But yeah, uh, moving on from there, we got a, a pretty big casting announcement for, for the third Ant-Man film uh, this past week. First of all, they're making a third Ant-Man film, which I wasn't entirely sure that they would considering 
the box office for the first one wasn't great and the box office for the second one was a little bit less um and so ant-man in general is uh, of the marvel movies is the one that makes them the least amount of money um but it looks like they're they're going all in on ant-man 3 because they've cast uh jonathan majors who has recently um gotten some got some hype about him because he's he's the star of uh lovecraft country on hbo max um and i believe he was in five bloods earlier mm-hmm. this summer as well um but they cast him as kang the conqueror um, which is a character that admittedly I don't know much about um, other than he's a very large Marvel villain that uh, a lot of people are speculating will be like the overarching Marvel villain like moving forward for the entirety of like phase four and beyond, um, which I think is, is really interesting uh, that they're already kind of getting ready for another big, I assume this will end up building to some sort of big event as Marvel movies usually do. Um and so, yeah, it's interesting that they're casting a character uh, that big in Ant-Man 3, of all things. Um, and it kind of shows that they're wanting to do something a little bit bigger than that, uh, than they've usually done with the Ant-Man films, which, I don't know, I've I've enjoyed uh, kind of how small the Ant-Man films have been in the past. Like, they're Marvel movies that are less so about saving the world and more so about just, like, saving just one little aspect of someone's life, uh, which I've enjoyed. They've kind of They're kind of just, like... Yeah, they feel like smaller films. Um, but yeah, and Kang is, from what I've gathered online, just a very time travel influenced character and apparently is like a descendant of Reed Richards from the Fantastic Four in mm. some way. Um, so there's some speculation that that's how that they could use that as some sort of introduction to the Fantastic Four. But I guess we'll find out. Um, what, what, do you, what do you guys think about this casting? Yeah, so um, I... Yeah, I just like you, I really don't know anything about Kane the Conqueror. I've literally never heard of him until uh, this this announcement was out. Um, looking at his Wikipedia a little bit more, it says he is a time-traveling entity. Um, he is uh, from the 31st century uh, and is a possible descendant of Reed Richards. Um, and in 2009, uh, he was ranked as IGN's 65th greatest comic book villain of all time. <laughs> so that's kind of low, but also, I guess, pretty good. So... <laughs> He made the list. He made the list, so that's that's something. Do you have any any thoughts on Kang the Conqueror, Mia? You know, yeah, we know how much you love comic books. <laughs> I was just about to say that. Uh, so no, not really, no. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so that'll be interesting, I'm sure. I like the casting, and I'm excited to see uh, an actor. Of, I haven't watched um, either The Five Bloods mm-hmm. or um, Lovecraft Country, but I've heard nothing but great things about Jonathan Majors, and so it's exciting to get an actor of that caliber into mm-hmm. into a Marvel movie like this. Um, but yeah, moving on from there, uh, we've we've talked on the on this podcast before about how we're all fans of Rick Riordan's books, or at least we we were when we were growing up, big fans of Percy Jackson. Um, but so. The story came out this past week that uh, another one of Rick Riordan's series, not Percy Jackson, but the Kang Chronicles, which is his series based on like Egyptian mythology, is going to be getting a series of Netflix movie treatments. Um, know very little else about it other than I guess it's happening. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll throw it to you first, David. What, what do you think about this? I'm hype. I'm very hype. <laughs> I uh, those are books that I think I only read once and don't really remember much if at all about them i know that it was about two siblings who it's percy jackson but it's egypt kind of thing um they had like a base in new york city i think um but beside that i really do not remember anything 
but I remember liking those books a lot, and I, I think I think we're seeing a little bit of a uh, Rior Renaissance, one, one might say, <laughs> um, and uh, with with this and with the Percy Jackson series on Disney Plus. Um, so yeah, I would I would love to see like a good adaptation of things that he has done because his his books hold a very beloved place in my heart. So yeah, what do you think, Mia? Yeah, I also I never. Um, I was into Percy Jackson, I think, kind of at the tail end of it. So I think by the time I knew about the Kane Chronicles, I I figured I should maybe grow up a little and put those childish books behind me. But, you know, I need to go back and read them, obviously. So I, I don't have much to add on this other than it is exciting. And yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll be interesting for sure, because like I... Also have not read the books. Well, I, I have read the books, but not since I was like in fifth or sixth <laughs> grade. Um, but I, I really enjoyed the books at the time. And I remember they were like vaguely set in the same universe as Percy Jackson. Um, but they never actually made any like concrete connections. I think there were like a couple points where they're like, oh, hey, there's like Greek people over there or something. Um, but the the plot never like crossed over or anything. Um, but yeah, this will be interesting to see. Um, just because it's it's one of Riordan's uh, series that isn't Percy Jackson. Obviously, Percy Jackson is the one he's most well-known for. So I'm curious to see like what they're going to end up doing with this. Um, one thing I remember enjoying about the Kane Chronicles uh, when I was younger was the fact that it was such a like contained story because it's only three books um and they kind of left it to those three books and didn't try to like build on that or do something else with it um it was kind of just its own thing which i enjoyed um i i remember i think in like sixth grade or something i did a book report on the second one and like did a presentation to my whole class about it um (laughs) and i don't remember anything about that presentation um but other than the fact that i enjoyed doing it and enjoyed reading the book so I yeah I guess I'm I guess I'm looking forward to this I was a yeah was a big Riordan fan as a kid and so it'll it'll probably make the 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 kid in me happy <laughs> um, yeah moving on to some other news uh, we got the the kind of vague news that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is going to be teaming up with Denis Villeneuve again uh, Denis Villeneuve is the director of uh, the upcoming director of Bla- uh, I about said Blade Runner uh, <laughs> of Dune, uh, but he did Blade Runner twenty forty nine and Arrival and Sicario and a bunch of other films like that. Um, and he's stated before that after Dune he wants to kind of go back and do a smaller film like like a like a Prisoners or um, Sicario or something like that. Um, and yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal confirmed in an interview this week that him and Villeneuve are teaming up for mm-hmm. for a smaller film again uh, after Dune. So I I haven't seen Prisoners. Um, which is the last film that uh, Hall and Phil Neuve worked on. And I guess if you're listening to this, I'll tell you that next week my, my Rewind review is going to be for Prisoners, um, which I'm very excited about. Another, nice. another self-plug. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I guess this is exciting. Villeneuve is probably one of the best directors we've got working right now, and Hall is probably one of the best actors we've got working right now. So it's it's great pairing, and I'm excited to see where it goes. Um, but yeah, what are, what are your guys' thoughts on this? Yeah, I also haven't seen Prisoners, um, but I have seen Enemy, which um, mm-hmm. I believe I'm looking. I think that out. was their first collaboration yes. together, wasn't it? Um, I don't remember the year. I have though. seen that. I I don't really know why I I uh, sought that movie out, but <laughs> um, I just found it on I think like UNL streaming service, and it's a weird, makes no sense movie, but I think I really liked it. And there's like two jake gyllenhaals and like maybe there's just a bunch of spider people who are running the government and stuff like that so um it's it's very it's very very strange and it has one of the 
weirdest endings to a movie I've ever seen. Um, but yeah, I, I liked it and I, I would love to see both of them uh, work together again. Cause so. that makes me want to watch enemy now. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, it's really something. So what do you think, Mia? Spider people. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, as much as Kyle, I think sings, uh, Villeneuve's praises. Uh, I always want to pronounce his name wrong, but I apologize. He is French or French Canadian. Yeah. Yeah. Not, um, Hispanic. Um, I forgot what I was going with that sentence. Oh, as much as, as yeah. Kyle sings his praises, um, I I think that the only movie of his I've seen is Arrival, and it was years ago, and I didn't, I I wasn't aware of like who he was as a director when I saw the movie, so I didn't really know to look out like, oh, this is his specific directing style, and so I haven't I haven't seen any of his other ones, so. I mean, I guess I'm excited because I, I've heard really good things from uh, about Enemy and Prisoners and they've been on my watch list. And I mean, when you put Hall into a project, I think it's going to be uh, successful and something that I definitely want to see. So we'll see. I mean, it sounds like it's in really early development, though, so I guess it'll it'll probably be a long time. Yeah, like we have no idea what the actual movie is going to be. Just the fact that it exists and they're both involved in it. So nice. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, moving on from there, uh, we got the news this week that I don't remember which studio it is. I could look it up, but you know we're we're already here. Um, <laughs> so there, <laughs> there's a Madonna biopic in the works that is being written and directed by Madonna, um, which I don't know about this. Like I think a Madonna biopic could work. Like I I, I think with a lot of the um, just biopics about popular musical artists lately, like Rocket Man or Bohemian Rhapsody or that kind of stuff. Um, obviously Madonna is very different than, than Elton John and, uh, and, uh, Queen. Um, but I, I just can't get past the fact that she's writing and directing her own biopic. Like who thought, who thinks this is a good idea? Like, I, I just can't imagine watching them, watching this movie, knowing that it's just someone just talking about, I mean, I guess like autobiography, uh, autobiographies exist, but like, I don't know if a movie someone made about themselves is it's going to be all that entertaining um but who knows and i i I don't know i i feel like there's a lot that you could dive into with madonna that maybe isn't the prettiest picture um and i feel like if she's doing it herself she maybe wouldn't want to talk about that stuff but maybe maybe in who knows this movie could be great it could turn out really well she could just not pull any punches and just be blatantly and honest about what her life is and was um or has been um but i don't know what what do you guys think (laughs) about this yeah it's certainly it's certainly uh pretty bizarre isn't it um i don't i can't think of any other circumstance where someone has written and directed their own biopic before um and on one hand it's like you know she knows what's you know she she was there she lived her life and so that could be interesting but i feel like there's not going to be a lot of nuance to it because there's no like outside party like examining the life of madonna it's like well like let me just say all the cool things i did in life and i probably will leave out all the bad things (laughs) so i feel like it'll just be that um and just looking at uh i I wanted to see because i know she's acted a lot um and yeah, I've I've liked her in like the one thing I've seen her in. Um, but her, looking at her directing career, um, she directed *Filth and Wisdom* in two thousand eight, and that has a twenty six meta score. 
Um, <laughs> she directed W.E. Dot e dot we um, in 2011, and that has a 37 Metascore. And she directed a short in 2013. So hmm. that doesn't quite bode well. But um, but you know, who knows? Maybe maybe it'll be just as good or just as mediocre, in my opinion, as Rocket Man. So <laughs> <laughs> shots hey, fired. You know, <laughs> poor Kyle. But yeah, what do what do you think, Mia? Um, I mean, I don't really. I feel like ugh, I don't. I feel like <laughs> there have been maybe there's been too much emphasis on these biographical um i guess explorations into various artists i i mean i don't think bohemian rhapsody was that great don't really think rocket man was that great you're both wrong (laughs) (laughs) um i guess the one this is total off topic but um yesterday I really enjoyed. Well, that was a that was a bit different. Though. Yeah, yes. see, that's but it's still like an exploration into a band's like discography, and I, I feel, feel like I feel, that's yeah, yeah. you know such an important part of like the movie. So, I don't I don't have really many expectations like going into this, but I mean, if she has a strong team behind her, I could see it working out because I mean she certainly has had an interesting life. So, I guess we'll see. I think yesterday was okay at best. <laughs> <sighs> But, you know, that's another topic. Agree to disagree. <laughs> Dang. How amazing would it be if Madonna played herself in this movie? That would be incredible. <laughs> yeah. I hope the end is just, like, her now, and it's, like, really meta. And it's just, like, Donna. Donna. Madonna. <laughs> uh, um, like, it's it just her now, and you just see it just the day in the life of Madonna. So if hmm. it's a biopic written, directed, and starring Madonna, would that just be... Like a glorified documentary? Yes. Hmm. yes. I think. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's like, uh, maybe it'll start with, with her like reflecting on her life and there's just like a flashback. And then yeah. maybe she's the narrator of her own <laughs> biopic. That would be very good. That'd be kind of cool. Um, yeah, I guess moving on from there, we want to talk a little bit about the box office. And it's not it's not great. It's not good news. Um, so as as i'm sure if you're listening to this you you've probably heard uh tenant tenant opened a couple of weeks ago opened wide and every pretty much every theater that is showing movies at least um and the the box office numbers after its, its first weekend were reported to be like around 20 million but one thing that they just kind of weren't talking about was the fact that it was 20 million over a 10 day period because they opened it and had so many previews and everything um prior to its actual opening weekend and they just kind of rolled that all into it and they're like oh it made 20 million dollars which like even if like in normal circumstances without coronavirus and everything like that would be an awful opening weekend for for a movie of this size Hmm. um but with everything the way it is like that was okay but then you can you stop to consider the fact that it's over 10 days and the actual like weekend numbers is was like right around 9 million um it's not painting a good picture of how comfortable people are going back to the movies right now. Um, and then that kind of got even worse second weekend when Tenet only made like $6 million in the U.S. Um, so like this movie, it's definitely going to lose Warner Brothers a lot of money because <laughs> um, they put – it's like a $200 million budget or something like that. Um, and I think they were they put it out wanting it to be like the grand return to cinema, um, which it just <laughs> hasn't been. Um, and wow. yeah – open and kind of serving as a bit of a, a situational foil to to tenant has been mulan um because mulan also came out the same weekend as tenant but it was released straight to disney plus 
and Disney hasn't reported any of like the actual numbers from that, but like reports have gone around saying that it made right around like thirty billion dollars, which doesn't sound like doesn't sound super great. But then like you stop to think about it, Disney gets to keep all of that rather than like a third of it, because um, like theater. Well, I think theaters keep like roughly a third, so Disney would get two thirds of that uh, if it opened at a theater. Anyway, um, but then it opened it opened in China as well, and like actually is like showing in theaters in China, um, which. Mulan was like people were asking for uh, for a live action Mulan, but like it's they've been pretty transparent about the fact that this is a movie that's trying to like play to Chinese markets, just because the Chinese box office is one of the fastest growing in the world and is quickly becoming like equal equivalent in size to the U.S. box office. So like there's a lot of money to make in theaters in China, um, and it's not doing well in China. It is doing probably about as well in China as Tenet is doing here. Uh, which is not good news, and I guess it's showing that even just like internationally, people just aren't ready to go back to the movies. Um, and so we're already kind of starting to see the effects of this. With uh, as we mentioned earlier, um, Black Widow likely getting delayed to 2021. Uh, we saw Wonder Woman get delayed from November to Christmas, and we're just kind of seeing everything get pushed back even more as a result of seeing that the fact that people aren't ready for aren't ready for movies in the theater right now. Um, yeah, that was just kind of me rambling about this. Um, but do you guys have any thoughts you wanna you wanna throw in? Yeah, I mean, I you know I feel like it kind of makes sense that they're both underperforming. I think it's kind of hard to gauge exactly how bad this is because nothing like this has ever happened before, and it's hard to compare. Obviously, like you said, if comparing it to normal circumstances, this is bad. But in the case of a, a pandemic, I guess it's better than nothing. They, they could have just released it and just no one went because no one wanted to go. Um, so, hey, I guess that's kind of kind of the glass half full look is you, you got something, Warner Brothers and Disney. Good job. So, yeah. Yeah. What do you what do you think, Mia? Uh, I don't have many thoughts on this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little running on empty at this point. So Mia is tired. Mia is very tired. We should get you a t-shirt that says Mia is tired. Mia is tired. <laughs> and then it has like a little thing that you can flip and then you can be like. Yes. And no. Then, yes. <laughs> or it's a scale. Uh, like. A- it changes from a T to a W. So it's either Mia is wired or Mia is tired. I love that. <laughs> that is so accurate. Gonna get that custom order. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Moving on from there. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into some trailers with our with our trailers galore segment um yeah uh so we've got just a couple of trailers to talk about here um so first of all i wanted to briefly talk about a trailer for dune uh which we've talked about uh, we mentioned a couple times earlier um it's the latest film from denis villeneuve based on the the pretty popular novel from i believe the 60s 50s something like that yeah um but it's been uh dune's been adapted a couple times i believe into a movie in the 80s and a tv series at some point neither of which was well received um, and Denis Villeneuve's given it a shot, uh, and we we saw a brief trailer for it in front of in front of Tenet, uh, and then full trailer dropped uh, just last week, I think. Yeah, I think a week ago. Uh, yeah. And man, I am so excited for this movie. I think it looks absolutely fantastic. Um, I think it's very apparent watching the trailer that it's a Denis Villeneuve movie, just because it has such like a heavy atmosphere to it. Hmm. Um, but the cast is 
I think the cast is the reason people are going to see this movie because um, there's Tim- Timothy Chalamet's uh, the star, and then Zendaya's in there as well. Or is it Zendaya? Zendaya. Not that's my please. Zendaya. Yeah. <laughs> and you call yourself a cultured man. <laughs> Does yeah, he? Get, Zendaya's in there as well. Um, and I have a little something to say about Zendaya uh, later, but we'll come back to that. She's um, beautiful. I mean, yes. I'll agree with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I have. I to feel say. like that probably wasn't what Kyle was going to say. <laughs> probably was going to be like just sidebars. And <laughs> but let's circle back to that. Um, but yeah, and then Josh Brolin, Javier Bardem, uh, Oscar Isaac, Oscar Isaac um, uh, Dave Bautista. It's just an absolutely stacked cast. Um, and yeah, it's one of my most anticipated movies of the year. And it's probably going to get delayed to 2021 because there's notably no release date in the at the end of this trailer. It's kind of like, hey, this movie exists. Um, be excited. Uh, but yeah, it's probably gonna probably gonna get pushed because this is uh, a Warner Brothers movie that was set for like uh, to open like a week before Christmas, and they just moved Warner, uh, Wonder Woman to the week of Christmas. So I doubt they would release two major movies like that back to back, especially in the middle of a pandemic. Um, but you know, I guess we'll find out. What do you guys think about this Dune trailer? You know, I kind of have no idea what's happening. <laughs> and what the plot is i'm sure i could look it up but i kind of just want to go in really fresh with it um I've, I've heard a lot of hype around this movie i i've i think this might be a little bit uh too too bold but some people i've seen say this could be the next kind of star wars thing where it's this new i you know not it's not a new ip but but something that people don't really know about that could really like burst on the scene and become a huge franchise um or it could just be uh, one in uh, the long series of movies by D- Denis Villeneuve that just no one sees that are really good but just literally no one sees and that they just make no money. It'll be so. another another Blade Runner 2049 that had like well over a hundred million dollar budget and then nobody saw yeah. it. <laughs> it lost a lot of money. Yeah. And really? it's a fantastic movie and I think it's one that if you're into movies at all you should watch Blade Runner you should watch the original Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. I think they're both fantastic movies. Sorry I'm getting off on a tangent here. But <laughs> yeah. Well, so let's hope the same thing doesn't happen with yes. Dune. But um, yeah, there's a big worm and I'm excited about that big worm. <laughs> so that's the, those are my thoughts. <laughs> so. I'm excited to see Timothy Chalamet. And are we surprised? No. Also, the fact that he is Oscar Isaac's son in this, like, what genes must be going on in that family, in that fictional family? Because hot dang, (laughs) (laughs) I would marry either. (laughs) Mia's like, just get me into this family. (laughs) Please. Please. Father or son, either way. (laughs) Either way. And like, you know, the age isn't that. It's not that Ooh, out of okay, the question. Mia, right. I feel like <laughs> I actually don't know how old Oscar Isaac is. I don't think he's that old. He's probably like 40. early 40s. Yeah, that's what I would guess. He's 41. I'm 23. That's totally that fine. Weird. Right? Right? I mean, it's like, right? Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> no. Um, yeah, what I was going to say uh, earlier was in an interview with Zendaya uh, earlier this week, she mentioned that, um, so just for a little bit of background on this, the movie... Uh, the book is being split into like two movies here um like this so this first uh dune movie is only going to be like the first half of the book just because it's such a dense book that there's uh villeneuve said that there's just a lot of story to tell here um but notably they have not like started shooting the second one at all so i'm assuming warner brothers is just kind of wanting to see the box office receipts for this first before they move into a second one Hmm. um which is probably smart yeah um but zendaya said that she's already like 
obviously entirely wrapped shooting, but she was only on set for like a couple of days. And so uh, she likely has a very, very small role in this movie, which is kind of funny considering how much she's in the trailer. Um, but, and like, I haven't read Dune, but from what I've gathered, like her character is a very like essential character to the plot of the movie. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I was watching, uh, just kind of a movie talk show, um, this past week where someone said that they had like gotten their hands on a copy of Dune and like a copy of like the script of the movie and like read it through and it was like an early draft, but it was like a Villeneuve draft. Um, and she didn't show up until like 10 pages before the end of the script. So she mm. might show up at like the very end of the movie. Nice. <laughs> she so, she shows up, she kisses Timothy Chalamet, and then she leaves. And honestly, I think that's Mia's dream for a movie. <laughs> you show up, you kiss Timmy, and then you just get out of there. You just are gone yep. because your life is complete. Yep. And maybe that's her, her character arc. Maybe. <laughs> she's, maybe. Like, that's, she's like, honestly, that's all I need. I don't care about any worms. I'm out of here. <laughs> no, no one needs those worms. Yep. Um, Dude, yeah. no one needs those worms. That's going to be the tagline of, of <laughs> Dune 2. Um, yeah, I guess moving on from there, uh, trailer dropped for The Trial of the Chicago 7, uh, which is a film from Aaron Sorkin. It's uh, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. Uh, obviously not. not uh, he has written many, many, many movies in his, in, over the course of his career, but it's only the second movie he's directed. I believe the first one was Molly's Game a couple of years ago with Jessica Chastain. Um but yeah, I think this looks pretty good. I don't have a lot to say about it. Um, it's going on Netflix here in like a month or so, I think. Um, so yeah, it'll be worth checking out. But do you guys have any thoughts on this? Yeah, it looks like a, a, a very solid movie with a really good cast about a historical event that I don't really know that much about. So I'm <laughs> sure I will learn more about it when I watch this movie. <laughs> that is that is an accurate assessment. Yep. <laughs> I knew nothing about this until I read it on the doc. And then I didn't have time to look it up, so I have literally no idea of what I this is. I sent it to you, Mia. You didn't watch it? Unbelievable. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I did not watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I really thought you were going to recover well there, and then you're like, no. Nope. Really Just crashing it. and burning. That's what I do best. Nice. Um, and then, yeah, uh, we got the trailer for season two of The Mandalorian, uh, which drops the end of the end of October, mid-October, something like I that. I think it's... Yeah, like the day before Halloween or something. Yeah, um, David, you you seemed like you were very excited about this trailer, so I'll, I'll throw it to you first. What do you think about this? Uh, Kyle said that I seem very excited because I, I pumped my arms very aggressively. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm very excited for this. I really really enjoyed the first season. Um, I think it has a lot of very interesting direct directions it can go in. Um, is Rosario Dawson going to be in this season? She's yeah, supposed to be, yeah, right? Yeah, as so. as a Sokatano. Yeah. That, that that one um, <laughs> uh yeah it looks it looks really good i i think if anyone can save 2020 it's baby yoda so i'm i'm pretty hype it really does not seem like a year ago that like disney plus launched and we got the mandalorian like yep. that that does not seem like a year ago at all um but but yeah i'm excited we're getting this uh sooner rather than later so yeah you have any any thoughts on this mia have you seen any of this? Like, did, didn't you watch some of we, it with us? I think, I think we, we watched one episode yeah. together, maybe, and then I never finished it. It's um, not really my style. Yeah. You call yourself a Star Wars fan. No, you, I you don't. You don't, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, well, I, I do call myself a Star Wars fan. Oh, don't um, you know it. <laughs> um, but if I'm being honest, I, was, I wasn't wowed by this trailer. Like, I'm, I'm very excited for the season two of The Mandalorian. I love the first season. Um, and I anticipate that the second season will be just diving even further into all of all of the great Star Wars goodness that I love. Um, but I thought this trailer was just really bland. Um, it was just kind of like, 
hey, we got another season coming out, and then just lots of shots of characters walking, um, and just like nothing, nothing to get excited about. Really, it doesn't give you any sort of look at like what the actual season is going to be. Um, which, granted, like they've still got like just over a month before the season comes out, so they've got lots of marketing, and I'm sure we'll get another trailer that hopefully will give us an idea of what what's happening. Um, but yeah. I think this trailer, like, I think a lot of the footage from this trailer could very easily have been from the first season, just because it's, just, yeah, people walking in hallways. I think and, that's fair. Yeah. yeah Shots of Baby Yoda being cute. And and lots of just, I'm on a sand planet or an ice planet, and I'm looking yeah. like a Mandalorian. So. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess that's that. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, from there, we'll jump into our, our main topic for the week. Uh, and our main topic this week, we've decided to to sit down and rank uh, all of the films of Christopher Nolan. Um, with Tenet opening a couple weeks ago, we've just been on a big Christopher Nolan kick lately, and we, we just kind of kind of want to indulge that a little bit. Um, so the way this is going to work is, so we're not counting uh, Following, which some people argue is uh, Nolan's first film, but we're we're not counting it because it's just kind of like, a short film it sort was like of. an hour yeah and i don't think anyone's ever seen it yeah ever. no one, <laughs> so. not in the, no not one even ever Nolan. yeah he doesn't even know yeah um so we're not counting that um but aside from that there's 10 10 films we're gonna be ranking here um it's uh gonna be memento uh insomnia uh the prestige interstellar tenet dunkirk and then the dark knight trilogy i think i think i got them all and inception i don't know if i said that but yeah um, so we'll, we'll start with, we'll start with David, um, just cause, so I, not, not, not to, not to brag, not to flex, or um, <laughs> but I, I have seen all of these movies and neither David or Mia have because they're losers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I say it Excuse with love. Excuse Um, but yeah, so we'll, we'll start with you, David. So yeah. You yes. So I am the biggest loser because I've only seen <laughs> seven of the 10. Um, and so, uh, uh, the, w- the, w- the way we'll, we'll do this is we'll, we'll go around and um, we'll each give kind of three, like our like our bottom three, and then our middle three, and then our kind of top three, and then our top one. I explained that terribly, but <laughs> but yeah, we'll do this in a kind of round-robin format. So I will start with the three that I haven't seen, um, which is, and I'm ranking them in the order of, uh, from uh, the ones I would, the one I think I would least like from the, to the one I think I will most like. Um, and so Insomnia at number 10, I don't know. It's about people not being able to sleep in Alaska, maybe. Yeah, it is actually. Yeah, oh, nice. <laughs> I th- I read that somewhere. Um, and then Dunkirk, which I feel like I, you know, I, I got a pretty good sense of that. Um, and then Memento, which is above Dunkirk only because I've seen the first seven minutes of Memento, so I already have a pretty good sense of that one. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, this is good. And then I just got distracted and I didn't watch any of the rest of it. So that's my ten through eight right there. Nice. <laughs> wow. That's pretty, that's pretty big. Um, my, I guess, so I do eight to seven or mention the ones you, you haven't seen. Oh, and then the, the one you haven't seen, yeah. which is insomnia. Memento. Memento. Yeah. I watched insomnia years ago with my parents, like before I really knew like, oh, this is Christopher Nolan and you know, knowing what that meant. And I don't, I mean, I guess it was years ago that I saw it, but I didn't think it was like, it's not like a Nolan film where you're like, oh, this is a Nolan film. I think that was before he kind of got into his niche. Yeah. Um, So you haven't seen, you haven't seen Memento. And then what are your bottom two? Okay. uh, Bottom two are Insomnia and The Dark Knight Rises. Um, Simply because I only watched Dark Knight Rises one time, like years ago, like shortly after it came out. And I, 
I'm not the biggest Batman fan. We, this is common truth. And uh, I really hated Bane because I just, oh. his voice. <laughs> you didn't like Bane? <laughs> I thought he was really stupid. Yeah. And his I, voice I think was that's stupid. Fair. You just, Christopher Nolan, and we'll talk about this. He loves, a, 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 you know, not being able to understand, uh, having someone in a weird face mask and you just can't understand what they're saying. So That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Similarities. Um, but I would, I think I would have to watch it again, uh, to really give it an honest shot, I think, because I feel like it's again, like not one where you're like, oh, this is a Nolan film. Like, obviously it's in the Batman trilogy, but I mean, for me, those movies aren't like his super crazy stories. His boo. How? We'll get into it. Oh, Dave. Oh, Dave. You make it so hard to be your friend. In um, quotes. <laughs> air quotes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, those are Memento, Insomnia, uh, Dark Knight Rises. Sweet. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll go through my, my bottom three now. Uh, at the bottom of this list, I, I also have The Dark Knight Rises. Um, I think The Dark Knight Rises is a fine movie. I haven't seen it in a long time. Uh, I was I watched it quite a bit when I was like in middle school and just really into Batman, um, <laughs> because you know that just seems to be what every middle school boy does. We all go through that phase. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's it's yeah it's it's a it. I agree with Mia in the sense that it doesn't feel like a Christopher Nolan movie necessarily. Um, it's just kind of another Batman movie set in this universe. I I think. Nolan really tried to like wrap up this uh, this universe well and like the story he was trying to do, but I think it just kind of was a bit too bloated, and I think he tried to do too many things in one movie. Um, and I, if I if my memory serves me correctly, it's by far like the longest of these three, um, and it just kind of like it's a, it's a good movie, but it's not like a great movie. Um, but yeah, uh, moving on from there, uh, Mia's going to be very upset with me for number nine. Um, plug my ears <laughs> number nine i've got dunkirk um, no <laughs> so i and i i reviewed dunkirk when it came out but i enjoy the movie but i don't love the movie i think my chief complaint with it and granted i've only seen dunkirk once because i never really wanted to watch it again um it my chief complaint coming out of it was that it felt like a story that could have worked well, but just Christopher Nolan tried to do too much Christopher <laughs> Nolan with it. Because like, so in case you, in case you haven't heard about Dunkirk or like, aren't aware of like what the story is. So it's set in world war two. Um, but, and it tells like three different stories, um, over the course of like the same time period. But like one of them takes, uh, takes place over the course of a week. One of them's over the course of a day. And one of them's over the course of an hour, but all three stories are told like, simultaneously like it cuts between the three and there's points where like the stories even like cross over a little bit um and i i think it's an interesting concept um and i think that there are movies in which this could work but i just feel like it didn't mesh well with what the story of dunkirk was um i felt like it just was kind of just style over substance for me um and it just kind of made the movie really hard to follow um and like unnecessarily hard to follow um and that's kind of my main qualm with Dunkirk. Like, I think it's visually outstanding. I think Hans Zimmer's score is fantastic. And I think all the performances are absolutely great, uh, like phenomenal. Um, but yeah, just in terms of just the structure of the story, it just didn't work for me. Um, and then at number, uh, I don't know, it'll be 
eight, uh, I've got Insomnia. Insomnia is the least Christopher Nolan, Christopher Nolan movie that exists. Um, it just kind of, like, it's it's a good movie, um, and it stars uh, Al Pacino and um, Robin Williams, uh, and they're both fantastic in the movie, and I think just the fact that Robin Williams was in a Christopher Nolan movie in general just makes me really happy. Um, but the movie is just kind of a generic like murder mystery movie where al pacino struggles to sleep um, throughout the whole thing and that that's about it the al pacino shaking hands struggling to sleep <laughs> um it like nothing about it really like i think it's a solid movie and i think it works well on its own but it just like amongst christopher nolan's film, filmography it's just the one that stands out the least um and so yeah those those will be my my bottom three um, so yeah, moved on to you, David. What's your your seven through five? Yeah, so uh, my my least favorite Christopher Nolan movie that I have seen is the Dark, the Dark Knight Rises. Um, uh, yeah, I feel like I have a very similar opinion to you guys. I saw it once, all the way through, when I was twelve, whenever, and I was like, "Yeah, Batman! I love Batman! It's this is very good." Um, but I think just as I have matured and as I have thought about it. Um, and just like seeing certain elements of it again, I haven't, yeah, again, I haven't seen it all the way through since I first saw it, but I think there's just a lot of dumb plot holes and uncompelling villains and just, just a lot too much time spent in a pit. Um, so yeah, the, I think it's fine. I think it's a pretty solid Batman movie, but, but it's, it is my number seven. Um, at six, I have Tenet, um, I think this uh, will probably change. I might go down. I'm, I'm a, I, I feel like I will like it better the second time. Um, I liked Tenet. I think I just did not have any idea what was happening for most of the time. <laughs> but when I did, I was like, yes, I really like this a lot. And I, and yeah, when I understood it, it really clicked for me. But then like a minute later, I would be lost again. <laughs> you know and i was just like so overwhelmed the entire time and i like there are multiple times where i like I, I i looked over to uh the friends i was watching it with and i was just like oh <laughs> like what is what's like my brain just hurt watching it and i think it's definitely something i will have to see again um and i like the general concept of it and i think it's a really interesting and just I don't think I've seen time travel done in that way before. And I think that that's really cool because I'm a big fan of time travel. I like a good, I like a good time travel in a movie. Um, but yeah, I think it just didn't fully come together. And it was also, it was his least personal movie that I've seen of his. Like there wasn't like a core emotional story that was driving it. And that's where I felt like it kind of fell apart for me. Um, so yeah. And then at number five, I have interstellar, um, interstellar is also one I've only seen once. I know Mia is shaking her head. She is very upset. Um, it is, I, I will say it is the easily the best score in a Christopher Nolan movie, which I think is, I, you know, that's, that's saying a lot cause he has a lot of, it, he and mostly Hans Zimmer have, have done a lot of good work together. Oh, um, yeah. but I think that is also one where I think the reason I have it above Tenet is, it has that emotional core to it and I liked that element of it. I just wasn't fully on board with the concept of Matthew McConaughey's in an astral bookshelf or something, <laughs> you know? And like, I just thought that that was kind of weird. Um, but again, I've only seen it once. I saw it with you guys like a year ago. Um, 
and yeah, I think it is pretty solid. So it's at number five. So yeah, we'll move on. We'll move on to you next, Mia. What's your What's your seven through five? Um, number seven is Batman Begins, which I know, I know. But again, as I have said before, I'm not the biggest Batman fan. I'm not the biggest Bat fan. So, um, I mean, yeah, I have no emotional connection to uh to Christian Bale as Batman the capitalist man that he is which was a discussion that we had before this he doesn't like batman because he's rich yeah he doesn't give his wealth socialism he's like eat the rich including batman (laughs) um yeah so i i can't really give more rationale just i don't i i don't i think what i like one of the things that i really like about nolan is that each of his films apart from this trilogy are like they're so standalone and like you obviously know like oh this is a nolan film but like each story has similar elements but a completely different structure um and so going into a trilogy i just feel like it's unnecessarily like connected which like it's a trilogy so of course it has to be i i yeah i don't know i'm just not terribly invested in in this trilogy but i mean i can definitely um realize its importance though and realize like all that it accomplished and how impressive it is but it's just not my favorite so uh that's number seven number six is the prestige um again i know have we seen this one together i don't think we watched it together wasn't it in dixon's class no, I'm, not I'm, I'm I know we watched positive. Nope, because we watched instead. Oh wait. Oh, I know right. we watched no, the we Dark Knight. We watched the Dark Knight. Night, okay, so that then, was the only one that we would have yeah. watched from. That's Nolan. wild. Yeah. All and right. I watched. I watched Inception with Dixon, like the summer class. Yeah. I took oh, we did. Right. Yeah, we yeah. did not watch the Dixon okay. with Dixon. Okay. For some reason, I thought we had had. Um, I've only seen this a couple times. When I saw it the first time, I was really impressed. Um, but again, that was before I knew really who Nolan was. Um. Again, not much emotional attachment, but I can realize how, again, how impressive it is. And just like, it's kind of a wacky storyline. And obviously the performances are super strong and David Bowie as Tesla is incredible. Um, so that is number six. Number five is, <laughs> ooh, this is contentious. Number five is The Dark Knight. What? Again, what are you doing? Batman. Um, you know, I, I stand by that. I stand by that. Well, I sit by that because I'd have to put my mask on if I were standing up. (laughs) Um, the dark. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, I, there's a certain amount, there's a certain amount of saturation of violence that my body likes and my mind likes. And this movie far surpasses that. Not that. It's not, it's not that violent. I am a wee baby, and I don't like oh, violence. The joke like, blows up I feel like all oh. of the bad violence, like all of the intense violence in this it's movie, is all so off screen. Like pretty much. Yeah. But it's so loud. That's fair. I don't know. I, I like me a good movies. space movie and a good war movie, but like the violence in in Dark Knight is just. It's so dark too. Like there's. Well, I mean, it's in the it's name. In the name. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Not called shut the Light up. Knight. Not the shut Knight. up. <laughs> I'm just saying that Gary Oldman at the end he doesn't say look at him go he's a he's a pretty bright knight <laughs> he says he's a dark knight that's how the movie closes. Okay, I realize why it's the Dark Knight and like Gotham sucks, but I'm just saying 
there is so little redeeming value in this movie. Like, like emotionally, emotionally, I'm saying. Oh my gosh, are you gonna like? Just <laughs> David let and me I are speak? just sitting over here losing our minds. We are, with, like, we are just, we were sil- silently just gesturing in wild, in wild manners at everything Mia says. Let me just say, there is so much beauty that I see in Dunkirk and Interstellar. Um, emotionally, <laughs> I can't, I can't look at you. Um, just like there's, I, hmm, I can't explain myself right now. But I'm just saying. There's no emotional connection from me to Batman, which makes it really hard for this movie to be higher on my list. Haven't you always wanted to be a Batman, though? A no. Man? <laughs> a bat I don't. Man? I could just... No. No. I don't want to live in Gotham. <laughs> so... <laughs> well, it's not like Nolan's like, this is a fun vacation home. You know, you just want to <laughs> jaunt on down to Gotham. <laughs> <laughs> I literally cannot explain myself right now, but because you're wrong, you're wrong. Because there's no justifiable explanation. Yeah. No, I'm just saying that running on very little sleep and your constant criticism of me makes it hard to explain myself. So I'm saying, Good. I this is not my favorite movie. That is why it's number five. I rest my case. Well, right. I guess moving on from that incorrect opinion, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's an opinion. We are. For censorship on this podcast, Ian needs to be censored. <laughs> just bleep out this yeah. ten minutes that I've been um, speaking. Yeah, uh, number seven. I'm actually going to agree with Mia. Uh, I've got the Batman Begins at number seven. Um, I think the ba- Batman. Yeah, <laughs> the Batman Begins. Uh, I think Batman Begins is kind of like uh, The Dark Knight Rises. I think it's a really good Batman movie. Um, I think it's obviously a better Batman movie than The Dark Knight Rises. Um, and yeah, I think it definitely is one of it's one of nolan's like first times working on like a big budget like studio movie so i think he definitely like toned down his style a little bit and just kind of focused on making a like a batman movie and less so like christopher nolan movie um which i think for this movie works um i think the context of in which like batman begins came out is important because like the batman movie prior to this like by like seven years or so or what year did this come out um 2005 so by like six years uh was batman and robin and so the difference between batman and robin and batman begins is is vast um and i think nolan like single-handedly like revived the batman franchise and like made it something to be taken seriously again um which is something to be applauded uh i think christopher uh, i think christian bale is I think he's pretty good as Batman. I don't love Christian uh, Christian Bale's Batman, mm-hmm. but I think he's pretty good casting, and like he's he's a great actor in general, and so like I support that. Um, but he's not far and away like not my favorite Batman by any means. Um, but I think Hans Zimmer's score here is great. I think the casting of like Killian Murphy as Scarecrow and um, Liam Neeson as like Ra's al Ghul. I think both of those uh, villains were absolutely fantastic in this movie, and I think the execution of both of them was stellar um but yeah it, it, it's a pretty it's a pretty good batman movie um i think it's probably one of one of the better batman movies out there and yeah i guess moving on from there number six i'm gonna have tenet um so i guess to agree with david there um but yeah tenet i i really enjoyed tenet um i think it was fun to watch the movie and like put uh, the puzzle pieces together yourself um because like it's it is a very complicated movie um and there are points 
throughout it that like everything just kind of comes together and you kind of realize what the movie is and in those movie moments like you really like see like how much thought went into the movie um i think it's definitely christopher nolan doing what he does to the largest extent that he's done it um just because he makes it super complicated and just doesn't really have any sort of restraint on trying to make it comprehensible to the viewer um he just kind of tells the story that he wants to tell and you know i I respect that um i think what really holds tenant back from becoming one of his like greater movies is the lack of the lack of an emotional connection to it which is a, a complaint that a lot of people are bringing up um yeah there's there's really no character in the movie that you get emotionally attached to just because you're not really at any point given a chance to get to know the characters like even the main character in the movie doesn't have a name he's just the protagonist which like is is an interesting stylistic choice an interesting narrative choice um but it just kind of makes it hard to become invested in what they're trying to do that and the fact that you don't really know what they're trying to do for most of the movie um, but once, once the movie ends and you kind of like see what it is as a whole, I think it comes together really well. And I, I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, moved on from there. Number five, I have Memento. Uh, I think Memento is, so it's what we're considering to be Nolan's first film for this, uh, for sake of this ranking. And I think it definitely establishes him as a filmmaker that isn't afraid to try new things. Because, like, the concept of Memento is, like, it's a character with a uh, short-term memory loss, so he doesn't really he doesn't realize like what kind of life he's living in whatever moment so he takes um like polaroid photographs and like writes notes for himself on it so that when he wakes up he can look at these photographs and like remember what he was doing um and it's him trying to like solve a murder mystery by doing this um and i don't want to delve too deep into like what happens in the movie because it's a movie that you want to know as little as possible going into it as you can um but i think it's very well executed um, and it establishes Nolan's, like, prowess as a director um, and just, like, the types of concepts that he isn't afraid to tackle. Um, and so, yeah, I think Memento is a really good starting point for Christopher. Like, obviously, there's lots of big-budget Christopher Nolan movies out there that pretty much everyone's seen at this point. But if you're looking to, like, really get into his filmography, I think Memento is a really good place to start. And so, yeah, that's my that's my seven through five. So we'll, we'll jump out, back over to you now, David. What's your what's your four through two? Yeah, so at number four, um, I have Batman Begins. I think I probably have this too high, just based like objectively on like how well made of a movie it is. But damn, I love Batman Begins. Like it just <laughs> it's it's so I don't know. If goofy is not the right word, but it's it is very over the top and a lot of not. Uh, I say this with lots of love. I think there are a lot of hammy performances in this. Like, like I, there's a lot of scenery chewing and Liam Neeson being like, uh, Gotham, you gotta kill it. And like, <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of silly elements to it. That's kind of that, that is coded and like, oh, this is supposed to be dark, but it's ki- kind of just over the top in moments. But I just love this movie. Like, it's just, it's a great Batman movie. Um, there are just some absolutely incredible moments in it like just some rad batman moments or i'm like yeah batman and like every time i've watched it i'm just like yeah batman at the end and and it just i think it's just a really it's just a really solid movie like and i think probably interstellar is a better movie like yeah probably but like i would rather watch batman begins over an interstellar or a a, a tenant 
Um, and so at number three, I have Inception. Um, Inception, I had not seen it until the summer, um, and I've since watched it uh, another time. And the first time I watched Inception, I really was confused. Um, I was watching it um, in like a Netflix party with like some friends, and so people were kind of like talking during it, and I missed some like very uh, important exposition at the beginning, and so I was like, "Where, where is, where are they? Where, what's the snow? Like, I know this is a dream, but like, where, what is happening, and what is the plan, and like, what are they doing?" But then I watched it, but I still was like, "I really like this." And then I watched it a second time, and it just really clicked for me. Um, and that's why I kind of have hope for a movie like Tenet or, or Interstellar, where once I watch it a second time, maybe I will like it more. Um, but yeah, Inception is just really great. It's it's really ambitious, but I think without being too confusing, I think like once when you sit down and you focus on it, it's the the vision is really clear and it has a really clear emotional core to it. Um, I think the character of Cobb is really is a re- really fascinating character. Um, and it's just, it's, you know, it's a great thrill ride, a lot of great action set pieces. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just a ton of fun. Um, and then at number two, I have The Prestige. I love The Prestige. I just rewatched it um, like last week. Um, and so maybe there's some recency bias there, but it just, it's just such a well-crafted movie. I, I think it plays with time in different ways than some of his other movies do like it it doesn't play with time literally really like it just kind of just the way it tells the story is not linear and um but it it's it's just like this really it's you know it's it's a magic trick that it presents you with these facts and then it kind of like pulls the rug from out under you and what you kind of thought was happening is not what was happening at all um and i I just love it. It's uh, I think the performances are really great. Uh, I love just the idea of these two men who are, you know, trying to be the best, but they just absolutely destroy their lives in the process. And I just love how it's pretty much just a series of escalating pranks of like, there's so many like silly beard and mustache reveals of like Hugh Jackman will call up Christian, but like we'll call up a guest to the audience. and It'll actually be Christian Bale with a mustache and he has a gun pointed at him. And he's like, Oh no, I know you're about to shoot me Christian Bale. And then they just keep on fooling each other with silly mustaches. And then the ending uh, without getting too heavy into spoilers is the ultimate silly mustache reveal. And I, I respect that they just commit to that bit and keep on, keep it going. So (laughs) prestige is number two. Wow. That's big. Yep. Um, my number four, I'm trying to keep track of numbers, which is hard for me. Um, my number four is Tenet, which I know is (laughs) bold after one viewing, um, after which I thought I did not understand one single moment, minute really of what was going on. But you know what? I trust Nolan. (laughs) I trust his vision and I think what what cements this so high in my um in my in my list is that I have only seen it the one time um and I know his movies are the kind that you just like Dave was saying like you just have to watch over and over um and you pick up on different things which make it more enjoyable and I think if I were to watch this several more times I would understand more of it would that would give me an appreciation for like just Nolan's craftsmanship i think in making something that on first viewing makes no sense and then like it gives you the opportunity to just kind of like 
tackle it at your own pace, I think. Um, another thing of why it's high on this list is the casting. I think it was just like the pairing of um, John David uh, Washington and um, Robert Pattinson, I think is a really interesting pair, but I think it worked really well. And their chemistry was never like fully explained until like the end. And even so that was still up in the air. Um, I really liked their pairing and I thought that they, they did well with what they were given. Although one of the complaints Kyle that you were saying about the emotional attachment which I know I'm sounding fairly hypocritical because I'm bashing the Batman trilogy and prestige because I wasn't emotionally attached to it um which definitely was something that I found lacking in Tenet um I'd be willing to give it several more watches and um yeah I think visually too it's just one that I can appreciate more than some of the other ones that are lower on my list. Um, one thing I guess that I was disappointed by um, was just the lack of Hans Zimmer because I felt that that absence was pretty remarkable for me. Remarkable. Um, noteworthy. Like, you know, it's it's just not the same. And when I think of one, I think of the other. And so seeing a pairing that doesn't have Hans Zimmer... Um, it felt a little wrong. It felt dirty, but, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's, that's my, uh, number four. Uh, number two is, or three <laughs> numbers. <laughs> nice. Good Num- night. Numbers are hard. Numbers are hard. Um, is Inception. Um, I've seen it probably three or four times. Um, but the last time was years ago. So I need, need to give it another go. Cause I think even the last time I saw it, I didn't really quite understand everything. Um, but I remember just being like really impressed with the storyline. I think that was the first one where I was like, Oh, this is Nolan. Like I'm not supposed to really understand what's going on and that's okay. Um, yeah, I just, I need to give it another, another whirl, um, to kind of understand it better. Um, and number two is Dunkirk. I don't really need to explain. Number two is Dunkirk. I was expecting Dunkirk to be number one. Well, we all know. We all know what's number one in my books. <laughs> we, we all know which Nolan movie makes makes me all hot and heavy. <laughs> and cry yes. a lot. Um, well, Dunkirk actually makes me cry, too. <laughs> Surprise. Um, no, Dunkirk is uh, number two. Um, I mean, basically everything that Kyle, you didn't like about it, I think is brilliant. And that's why I think you're wrong and you suck. Nice. So <laughs> that's my professional opinion. Um, again, I think, I think the way it's told, like makes so much sense. And one of, I remember arguing with my dad when he had seen this because he didn't like that there wasn't a main character. And he thought that that really weakened its um, emotional punch. And I was like, no dad, you're wrong because I feel like the character is Dunkirk, you know, it's, it's that battle. It's that moment in, or I guess you can really say it's a battle, but that, um, that historic moment, like that's the character and then everything else is kind of secondary. And I think that really just strengthens like the emotional impact because you're not, I mean, you are committed to Finn Whitehead, I think is his, the actor's name. Um, 
the blonde or not blonde he's dark hair um i don't remember he's like the character that you follow around mostly like in the beginning and the end he's he's the character but it's still like you don't get his backstory and so you don't have that much of an attachment to him um but i think that works really well and i think that just speaks so highly to nolan's craftsmanship which i keep using that word but i think it really works to describe what he does um it just shows that he's just such a capable director that he can take something that doesn't have a main character really and still make something that has uh, such an emotional attachment to to the viewer so that's why it's number two also the soundtrack oh my gosh makes me weep it's stunning i remember i saw this movie the first time like two falls ago like sitting in the journalism building like it was like the first week of classes and I didn't have any homework and I was like, I'll, I'll watch Dunkirk. And I think I watched it in several segments and I remember thinking like, oh my word, I wish I'd seen this on the big screen, but I'd missed it by then. And then the, I mean, my timing might be wrong, so I apologize. It might've been 2017. It came out in 2017, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, okay. It came so- out summer of 2017. <sighs> Then I don't know when it was, but I remember for the next year's Oscars, um, the the grant was um, showing the best picture nominations and it cost like a crazy amount of money because you had to buy a ticket for like to yeah, see all like of them a, like the one day. Yeah. But I thought, you know what? This is worth it. So I only went to see Dunkirk and it was worth it. Like when the credits rolled, I was like, OK, that's a movie that absolutely deserves to be seen on the big screen. And I think, yeah, that was my second viewing, and I think I, I liked it even more that time. So I think it's a phenomenal film, and it honestly, it really saddens me that you don't like it. Like, you don't like, like it that it. I much. Just don't love it. Like, it just didn't. I just like, don't I, understand that. Admittedly, again, I've only seen it once. Uh, I saw it, like, opening night when it came out. I saw it like, in IMAX opening night. Oh, wow. Um, and, yeah, it was... Maybe I'll, I'll watch it again sometime and enjoy it more. But yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think it would be worth watching it again I for you, so, but then also to introduce Dave to it. I feel like you no. you might like <laughs> David's just going to refuse to watch it. You know what? It. I'm getting out of this chair and leaving, and I'm <laughs> never driving you anywhere else. <laughs> Aw, sad. Um, but yeah, uh, in terms of my uh, my number four and my number three, these two are really close for me. Uh, in fact, they're so close that like earlier in this episode, I swapped them. Um, so my number four is actually The Prestige. Um, and I don't know. There's not much to say about The Prestige that Dave didn't already say earlier. Um, I think it's, yeah, the whole movie's, whole movie's a magic trick. I think it's one of Nolan's more subtle uh, movies. Like it's not like a big grand time jumping weird sci-fi movie. It's just kind of... Yeah, like you said, two magicians playing pranks on each other. Um, And yeah, I think the performances in the movie are fantastic. Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale um, play off of each other really well. Um, And I think, yeah, it's just, it's it's very well put together. And all of the different twists in the movie just completely come out of nowhere. And at first you're like, where, where is this going? What, what is, what is happening? Um, but then like you go back and you watch it again and you see the like seeds of all of those twists being sown throughout the whole movie. Um, and just like the amount of care and thought that put went into like every word of this screenplay is incredible. 
Um, number three for me uh, is Interstellar. I think Interstellar is a movie that I love more and more every time I watch it. Um, when it came out, um, I I quite enjoyed it, and then it kind of like declined a little bit for me, uh, and then I got back into it again probably about a year and a half ago or so, um, and now it's obviously one of my favorite films that Christopher Nolan's done. I think it's probably one of the best sci-fi movies we've gotten in the 21st century. Um, I think it's just such a it's such a well done execution of concept um in terms of just like saving humanity and like the multiple aspects that uh, he explores and how to do that both in um uh, through like the science of uh murph and everything that she's doing um like on earth and cooper just going out and trying to find somewhere new for humanity to live um and the ending of the movie was one that I wasn't on board for at first. I thought it was just kind of weird and uh, kind of unfocused. Um, but, like, then I watched it again and again, and now, like, it just... I couldn't imagine mo- this movie having any sort of different ending. I think it's... To, 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 make, uh, to make a bold claim, I think uh, Interstellar is probably, like, the closest sci-fi movie we've gotten to 2001 since 2001 came out. I think it's just it's very uh, bold. Yeah, I think it, I think I just think it's it's a it's a grand and as realistic as possible like look at this kind of space travel and like what a realistic future for humanity could be. Um, and I think Nolan handled it really well. And my God, Hans Zimmer's score for this movie is absolutely phenomenal. I think it might be one of the best scores Hans Zimmer's ever done. Yeah, um, and I and. It's weird because it's such a different score. Like his use of his use of organs and he like, loves that damn organ. Dude. Yeah. Well, the, yeah. Yeah. Um, like, but even like in moments like when they're on like the water planet and just like the attention to detail of like having every drip be like a day on Earth and that kind of stuff. And it's just it's very 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 well done. Um, and if you haven't seen Interstellar, it's it's a long movie, but it's definitely worth worth the worth the runtime. Um, yeah and then number two for me is inception inception is a movie that i watched like so i i like really started to get into movies like sophomore year of high school um and once that point hit i was like okay i need to like get caught up on all of the movies that everyone says are fantastic um and inception (laughs) was the first one i went to and needless to say i absolutely love this movie i think i watched it for the first time just like sitting on the floor of my living room uh, at my parents' house, like at like 10 a.m. when I don't know where my parents were, but like I was just like home alone watching Inception and just like having my mind blown as a sophomore <laughs> in high school. I mean, like, what is happening? So, uh, so, some high schoolers rebel and do drugs. Yeah. Kyle watches Inception at 10 a.m. Um, what a life! Yeah, I was really living living the life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, the cast is fantastic. It's I think this is the only movie that Nolan and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio have done together. Um, but I think that DiCaprio just matched what Nolan was doing with this movie so well. Um, and all of the characters in the movie are cast um, just amazingly. Um, but what I what I love about Inception is the mixing of its grand concept and just like how much you can dive into that and how much you can pick it pick it apart and just kind of analyze it um and how he marries that with the emotional core of Cobb and uh, Maul's like relationship and just exploring that because like at its core like 
the movie is about that. Like it's about Cobb and his relationship with Maul and him like kind of like delving into that and kind of accepting that and just accepting like what his life is. Um, and I think that becomes even more prevalent on every, every, every watch. Um, and if you ever get the chance to watch this movie on the big screen, do it. It's absolutely worth it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my number two. And so we're, we're down, we're down to our number ones. So we'll, we'll head back to you, David. What's your favorite Christopher Nolan movie? Um, I think, uh, if I'm keeping track uh, correctly, I believe Kyle and I have the same one. Um, the Dark Knight. Um, it's so good. I know I know. Mia said a lot of mean things. A lot of mean <laughs> and personally hurtful things mean. about me. Me and things about The Dark Knight. Um, and I took those very personally. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, I don't know what you can even say about The Dark Knight. Like it's it's a dark night. It's like one of my favorite movies. I would say, um, it's really good. It's a good movie. <laughs> wow. I would say um, the dark night is good. Is Dave good. coming it's in good. with the hot takes. Hot take. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it has one of the best performances of the century, um, in in Heath Ledger. Uh, it has such a great pace to it, um, and just it's. It's not really a Batman movie, but it's just, it just it's a great just it's a great crime movie and um I would disagree that there is not an emotional core because there definitely is. I didn't say that. Um or maybe well, I did yeah, actually. I think you did say that. Um, I I meant like I wasn't emotionally attached to it. I well, definitely described that wrong. I think you're wrong. But, uh, okay, well, you can't decide whether or not I'm emotionally uh, invested in a movie. Yeah, but also I can though. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I won't. I won't go on about the Dark Knight because I'm sure Kyle will have some more eloquent things to say. But yeah, it's it's a pretty good movie about a man in a bat costume. I would say so. What was that last part? About a uh, it's a, about a man in a bat costume. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, um, should come as no surprise that Interstellar is at the top of my list. Um, I wish that I could condense all the minutes that I've talked about Interstellar in this podcast because when we wrote our like our group one for last year about like favorite movies of the decade, it was at the top of the list. So I've, needless to say, talked about this movie many, many times, so it's probably just going to be beating a dead horse at this point. But... Um, yeah, I mean, I literally, hmm. I can't say anything th- about this movie that I haven't said before, but um, I think what really makes this movie so special for me, and it was something that I put when I could actually like write down my words and formulate them better, was just the emotional core that, like, at the end of the day, like, it's love that you know makes life worth worthwhile and. Um, the connection that Matthew McConaughey has with his daughter in this is I think really just launches the movie up in the ranks of like the emotional impact that Nolan's movies have. Um, And on top of that, you have a phenomenal score and the cinematography is stunning. And yeah, it's a little bit long, but like it's so cohesive as a storyline. I mean, visually like it is stunning. Like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I, I find like a lot of edits on Instagram, um, 
just about just some of my favorite movies and one of them was about interstellar and it was about how nolan and um zimmer had collaborated for making the soundtrack and apparently i mean according to this instagram caption um <laughs> zimmer hadn't like he didn't know the the genre the titles the character the plot but Nolan gave him an envelope with a letter in it and it told him like the center of the story. And then Zimmer went ahead and like made up these, like the core sound of the film. And they like, they conducted 45 scoring sessions, which was triple the number on inception. So I think, yeah, that's all to say that like the soundtrack for this was so totally different. And I know some people don't like it because it's so like heavy on the organ and I think that like really inf- like reinforces it and makes it even stronger that you can get so much variation in sound with like the same instrument. And I don't know, like using the organ to depict space, like it just, it makes so much sense. And yeah, I don't know. I really, I think it's just a phenomenal movie. I, I don't know how many times I've seen it, but I can only hope that I'll see it at least 10 more times before I die because it's that good. <laughs> so that's that's my number one. Nice. Yeah, I think Interstellar is definitely Nolan's most emotionally resonant film. Um, it's the one movie of, not not the one movie of his, but the movie of his that focuses like the most on like its emotional core. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I agree. Um, and yeah, as David said, uh, my my number one is is the Dark Knight, just because how how could how could it not be? Like um, as I mentioned earlier, I was uh, once upon a time a middle school boy who was really into Batman, um, and uh, this is like the one movie of that of that time period, like of like the pre like really into movies Kyle that has like really kind of stuck with me um, and just continued to hold like hit the high bar that I, that I have set for it, like in my memories and in my mind. Um, it, yeah, like Dave said earlier, like the, the performance from Heath Ledger is one of the best performances of the century. Um, and I think, uh, Hans Zimmer's score in this is also absolutely fantastic. I think it's probably one of the best Batman scores we've had. Um, I think the, the emotion, like the arc that that the character of Bruce Wayne and Batman goes on in this film is, is incredibly satisfying to watch and just like seeing how he deals with Gotham not necessarily being what he thinks it is and himself not really being who think he thinks he is um and like his role in everything um and just like seeing how how the Joker can come in and just turn everything on its head um and using uh using Harvey Dent and Two-Face as kind of like a good example of that, of how um, just Gotham evolves over the course of time. And yeah, um, I feel like these aren't very focused thoughts, but you, you, you get what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah, I think The Dark Knight is definitely the film that like introduced Nolan to um, most people um, just because it's, it's such a highly regarded film and when it came out was was incredibly successful like i think it was the first like dc film to ever hit a billion dollars um and it was just passed recently by like aquaman a year and a half ago um (laughs) but (laughs) you know the 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 two equivalent movies the dark knight and aquaman um but i I actually really like like aquaman but yeah um yeah it's yeah i just love this movie i don't really know what else what else i can say about it it's 
yeah, it's great. <laughs> Just kind of rambled, but you, you, yeah. Um, so yeah, you guys have any any other closing thoughts on Nolan's <laughs> filmography? We've we've gone we've gone pretty long here, but we're we're all right. We're just excited to be back. So yeah, um, yeah. I would say that Christopher Nolan's a pretty good filmmaker. He's he's pretty good. You know, yeah. I, I'll yeah. agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I will leave you all with today. <laughs> all right, and yeah, this is I don't I don't know what episode this has been of Cinebraskans. It's it's an episode of Cinebraskans. It is it is it is the first of this term of this of this era first of the this era of this in person pandemic era. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That'll do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Number one, fresh start. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, this has been Cinebraskans. Uh, I'm your host, Kyle Cruz, as always, joined by my co host, David Berman. And Mia Everding. And yeah, thanks. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. See ya. <laughs>